Please take your Bibles and turn to the book of Hebrews. Uh, Hebrews chapter 8. Beginning with verse 1. Now the point in what we are saying is this. We have such a high priest, one who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven, a minister in the holy place, in the true tent that the Lord set up, not man. For every high priest is appointed to offer gifts and sacrifices. Thus it is necessary for this priest also to have something to offer. Now, if he were on earth, he would not be a priest at all, since there are priests who offer gifts according to the law. They serve a copy, a shadow of the heavenly things. For when Moses was about to erect the temple, he was instructed by God, saying, See that you make everything according to the pattern that was shown you on the mountain. But as it is, Christ has obtained a ministry that is as much more excellent than the old as the covenant he mediates is better since it is enacted on better promises. For if that first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no occasion to look for a second. For he finds fault with them when he says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will establish a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. For they did not continue in my covenant, and so I showed no concern for them, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, declares the Lord, I will put my laws into their minds and write them on their hearts. I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And they shall not teach each one, and they shall not teach each one his neighbor, and each one his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest. For I will be merciful towards their iniquities, and I will remember their sins no more. And speaking of the new covenant, he makes the first one obsolete, and what is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to vanish away. Thus ends the reading of God's Word. Let's pray this morning. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the, the Word that you have given to us, that you are a God who, who speaks to us. But Lord, the reality is, is that you can speak to us and we can be deaf and we cannot hear. And, and Jesus spoke of this when he was here on earth. That even the religious leaders, those that you would expect to be in tune with God and, and know and, and hear His voice, were deaf. Lord, let that not be true of us this morning. We pray for your Holy Spirit instead to, to work in our hearts, to, to open our, our hearts and our minds to the word that you give us this day, to respond in faith. We pray in your name. Amen. Well, to say that the world that we live in feels out of control probably feels like an understatement at this point in time. And I'm not just referring to the pandemic and all of the issues, health issues that go along with that or, or even with the economic issues that, that go along as well, or even the racial tensions that, that we see in our country. But it's interesting to see people's reactions to all the things that are going on. 
and there, there's many different ways that people are reacting but just a, a, a couple I want to highlight this morning is one of the things that we see is just an overwhelming anger that we see in, in many people rioting and looting uh, even random citizens are being attacked sometimes by groups of people and, and harmed greatly now please do not hear me say that I don't care about the injustices that are being done in our country I mean the Bible tells us that God is a God who cares about such things but but he tells us to address those things in a, in a particular way and it's just very difficult to see that anger and because of that I think many people are upset but it's not even just the anger that we see in society but even in the church as well I in contact with a number of pastors and and it just breaks my heart when I hear of a pastor who says you know I, I I pastor a church of people who love the Lord Jesus Christ with all their heart. There's, there's peace in our church. We're a gospel-preaching church. And yet, as we have gathered once again for worship after the pandemic, our people are almost like splitting down the middle. We have masked people and unmasked people. You have people who say, if, if not everybody wears a mask, I'm not going to church. And other people who say, if I have to wear a mask, I'm not going to church. And you see that anger rather than the love of Christ that is there. But it's not just anger that people are experiencing. There's also a good number, a, a good amount of fear as well. As people look into the future and they wonder, what does the future hold? I, I have many people ask me, you know, I, I wonder if I'm going to be able to provide for my family or not. You know, and, and even some who are wondering, you know, is all this going to eventually just pass by and we're just going to get back to normal? Or, or is this the new normal that we're seeing in our country with all the, the violence and the things that are going on? And some people are even wondering, you know, is this the beginning of the end of the United States? Are we going to cease to exist as a country? And so people are thinking about all different kinds of things. And then there's people that I'm going to put in a category of apathy. It's, I don't think that's a good term. I couldn't think of a better way to put it. But these are people who just hear all of this stuff that's going on and they're just withdrawing. They're just saying, I can't, I can't take it. I can't, I can't listen to all this news. And so they're they're pulling back from social media and other news things and, and they're they're just they're just uh, sort of shutting down and withdrawing. And these are very real circumstances that can cause us to question what part does our faith play in all of this and, and how do we respond and, and what is life supposed to look like as Christians in such circumstances well this is somewhat what it was like for the Hebrew Christians as they were wrestling in their faith uh, they had put their faith in Jesus Christ and yet their life had become very difficult they had been put in prison they had had their property taken away they had suffered greatly as a result of following Jesus Christ. And so the circumstances of their life was very much one of testing their faith, and they were struggling. And the author of the book is seeking hard for them to understand that Jesus is their only hope. He's not just a hope, he is their only hope. And so for seven chapters, he's been laying out for before us who Jesus Christ is. He wants us to see, he wanted the, the Hebrew Christians at that time to see who Christ is, how he is greater than the prophets, than the angels, than Moses, than, than Aaron. 
And, and now we come to chapter 8 and he begins by saying this. He goes, now the point in what we're saying is this. In other words, he's saying, listen, this is what I want you to understand. The point of everything that we have covered so far and that we're going to cover in the rest of the book, it's about Christ's priestly work. You need to understand that. And the writer says to these believers and to us, he says, now this is the point that we are saying is this, that we have such a high priest. Everything we've been talking about, about Christ as our high priest from chapter 1 to chapter 7 is true. This is the kind of priest that we have. Not a priest that's after the Levitical priesthood, but a different kind of priest. One after the order of Melchizedek. Now, think about this from the perspective of these Jewish Christians. You know, I think we hear this and we just sort of skim over this. But for them, this was very difficult. They had been raised in the Jewish system and that they understood that the only way that they could have a relationship with God was through the temple sacrifices. Was coming before the Lord and bringing the correct sacrifices. And yet now they're being told that actually that's been fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And yet they've never seen Jesus uh, participate in any sacrifices in the temple. And even though at this particular time in which they lived, the temple sacrifices were still uh, um, happening. If you look at verse 4, it says there are priests who offer gifts according to the law. That's present tense. So the, the temple sacrifices were, were still happening at this time. And, and these Hebrew Christians really had to live by faith because they're being told about all this stuff about Christ's priesthood and yet it's not something that they have ever seen. And uh, um, but the Christians are, yeah. And so the writer here is seeking to give them evidence of, of who Christ is as their priest and uh, help them to see who he is. And, and it's so in the same way that, that as we've been looking at and seeing that Jesus is greater than the Levitical priest in his personhood, what we're going to see in this chapter, as it summarizes in verse 6, is that Jesus' ministry is also greater than theirs as well. And this is good for, for us to be reminded, because while we don't struggle, and while we don't have to have it proved to us, the importance of the priesthood, or that Christ is the priesthood, it is so easy for us to think only of those things that we experience with our five senses as things that are true. And we need to be reminded of Jesus' present ministry in heaven on behalf of his people, and, and how that ministry affects our lives today. And so let's look at chapter 8, verses 1 through 6, as the author outlines a number of ways that Christ's ministry is greater than that of the Levitical priest. The first point we see is that he's greater in his work, and specifically in his work of the atonement or in redemption. He says in verse 1, we have such a high priest who is seated. Now, that sounds like maybe a crazy place to stop in that sentence, and, and we'll look at the rest later, but, but this is the second time such a statement been made in this letter. If you turn back to chapter 1, uh, verse 3, at the end of that verse, the writer says that Jesus, after making purification for sins, after dying on the cross, um, he sat down at the right hand 
of the majesty on high. Now, why is that so significant? Well, it's because, as you can see in this uh, chapter, in the, this section of this chapter, he is, he's really contrasting the Levitical priesthood with Christ himself. And in verse 3 we read, For every high priest is appointed to offer gifts and sacrifices. Thus it is necessary for this priest, that is speaking of Jesus, also to have something to offer. Now we see in this verse that, that high priests are appointed to, to present gifts and sacrifices. People would bring their gifts, they would bring their animals to the temple, but they could not offer them to the Lord. It took a priest, it took a mediator between the people and between God to be able to offer these sacrifices. And we notice that there are many gifts and many sacrifices. This is plural. This is something that's being offered repeatedly before God. This is what the priests do day in and day out. But also when it says that they, uh, they offer these sacrifices, the words to offer in the Greek tense is really in the present, which means it was an ongoing process that was happening. Um, and so you see that the priesthood, the Levitical priesthood, are giving continual sacrifices to the Lord on behalf of the people. <coughs> but then you contrast that with Christ at the end of verse 3, and it says here that thus it is necessary for this priest, that is Christ, also to have something to offer. But that word something is actually in the singular, showing that the offering that Christ gave was just uh, a one-time offering at a single time and point. And when it says that he uh, that he offered these gifts in verse 3, it says, uh, uh, thus it is necessary for this priest also to have something to offer. It's interesting that the author changes the tense of the word. It's no longer in the present tense, but he changes it in the past tense to show that it was something that happened as a one-time event. It was a snapshot in a point in time. And so the contrast here we see between the Levitical priest and Jesus is that while their sacrifices were made and it's something that they continued to do and their work was never done, Christ's work was done. And that's why he says in, in verse 1, we have such a high priest who's seated. He's completed his work of redemption. And so he sits. Uh, look at uh, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 11. This brings it out a little bit more. It says, And every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sin. That's because their sins were not sufficient. Even though hour after hour, day after day, year after year, they were offering these animals uh, before God, they did not cover the sins of the people. But Christ's work, on the other hand, uh, when he hung on the cross and said, it is finished, declared actually what had happened. If you're still in Hebrews 10, look down at verse 12, where it says, but when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. And so that's what we see here as we come to Hebrews chapter 8, that we have a high priest who has finished his work. His work is much different than the Levitical priest. And kids, young people, there are people out there that you're going to come in contact with as you grow up and as you make new friends and as you talk with people 
who will say that they believe in Jesus Christ. And they'll even say that they believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross to save the sins of people. But if you press them further in what they believe, they may also think that you have to do some kind of work yourself to be made acceptable to God. I, I'm reminded of a conversation I had a number of years ago with a, a Mormon who said to me that they believe that Jesus Christ died for your sins. It sort of shocked me. I said, really? I said, tell me about that. Because I, I didn't think that's what they believed. And they're like, well, yes, of course. You had to have Jesus Christ die for your sins in order to give your, you the ability to do all the good works that you need to do to get to heaven. That's not what the Bible is saying that Jesus has accomplished. His work is finished. Or if you go into a Catholic service to a Mass and they offer the sacrifice of Christ over and over and over again. But the Bible says His sacrifice is once and for all. And that He is, is done. But also, I think we need to remember that Christ is our, our High Priest. Uh, and that He offers to the Father an accepted offering for our sins. And so when Satan comes to you, and he's accusing you for your sin. And you know what? When Satan accuses us, he's most always right. We have committed those sins. We are guilty because of those sins. But we need to be reminded in those times that Christ has paid the one and only price for us. The perfect sacrifice that has been made for us. And yes, we must confess our sins to God. But we must also rejoice in the sacrifice that has been made for us, knowing that our sins are forgiven, that Christ, your priest, appears in heaven in the presence of God in our stead. So you are seen in, in your great high priest in union with him, as we've been talking about in Sunday school. Jesus has sat down because he's accomplished that work. It's all done. There's nothing I can add to that. There's nothing that Christ can add to that. It is finished. But we also see that he is greater in his position as well. If I might read on in verse 1, uh, we have such a high priest, one who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven. Jesus ministers in heaven at the right hand of the throne of majesty. Uh, the same terminology used in verse 1, but he, he's referring to the, the throne of God. And the idea of sitting uh, for Christ to be seated not only means that the redemption has been accomplished, but also seating is often a sign of honor and authority in the ancient world. Uh, a king sat on his throne to receive his subjects, and he would make judgments for them, or he would teach them, or he would do whatever was appropriate for his subjects. And as we look back to chapter 7, we are reminded that Jesus is not only a high priest, but he is a king as well, because that's what the uh, Melchizedek was. He was both a king and a priest. And although in Israel the offices of prophet, priest, and king were never held by the same person um, in, in Christ, that is not true. Christ is both the priest and the king. So he sits at the right hand of the majesty in heaven, um, the Father himself. And the seat being a seat of power and authority, uh, he carries that power and authority out for a number of reasons. And Matthew Henry reminds us, he said, Jesus exercises that power and authority, first of all, for the glory of the Father. 
he, he desires that God would be glorified, but also for his own honor as the son, and also for the happiness and the well-being of all who belong to him. So all through his mighty power, Jesus will bring every one of the redeemed to the right hand of God the Father in heaven as members of his mystical body that, that where he is, there we may be also. So that's where our assurance is grounded, that Christ is seated in heaven. He is our forerunner, as we've talked about before. He guarantees our place. Turn back to Ephesians chapter 2, if you would. I know it's been a while since we've gone through Ephesians, but Ephesians 2, uh, I'll actually pick it up at verse 5, but verse 6 is what I want to focus on. And Ephesians 2, 5, he says, Even when we were dead in our trespasses, made alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved. And then he says in verse 6, And raised us up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Notice that idea of raised up and seated up are in the past tense. Now at the point when Paul wrote this to the Ephesians, they were still here on this earth. But he spoke of these things. He could speak about these things as already happening, as raised, as seated, because Jesus is there for us. And it is so certain that we will be there with Jesus one day that he could write this in the past tense as if it had already happened. And that's the assurance of salvation that we have in Christ who's seated in heaven because of his authority, Jesus is, is confident of our salvation. And that's why Jesus said in John 6, 39, and this is the will of him who sent me, that is the will of the Father, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. And so as believers, we can be confident of our salvation because we are in Christ who is seated in heaven, working with power on behalf of this people. The, the Christ who is at work in us is the one who has been crucified, who's dead to sin's influence, and he is victorious over sin. He is alive with the resurrection power and is reigning with authority and power. And so we have in uh, at, at sitting at the right hand of the Father, the King who reigns over all. Now, I, I really appreciate the, the summary that the Westminster Confession of Faith gives about uh, explaining how Christ fulfills his office as king. He does a very good job of summing up what the scripture teaches. Uh, he fulfills his office as king in subduing us to himself, in ruling and defending us, and in restraining and conquering all his and all our enemies. You see, Jesus' power is such that he wins our hearts, that he rules over us, that he governs us to shape and to change us, to protect us in our pilgrim quest through a dark and a dangerous world. But as Thomas Watson once said, he said, many would admit Christ to be their advocate to plead for them, but not the king to rule over them. In other words, we love that Jesus is our advocate and that he stands up for our rights, but when he seeks to be our king and to rule over us, even subduing us in our sin and struggles, sometimes we don't like that so well in the way that God works. But he does so because he loves us. And I know that as we look at the world that's around us and, and just the, the future that it seems very unsettled, sometimes scary at times, um, you know, and when it comes to the comforts of this life and 
protecting the lifestyles or even sustaining us as a nation, God has not promised that he would sustain these things because these things are temporal. They'll come and they'll go. But on what matters most, it is written in past tense. I want you to remember that. It is so certain that it will happen that God has written it in past tense. And so Jesus is our high priest, our king, whoever lives to make intercession for us, as we saw back in, in chapter 7, verse 25. Uh, he prays for his people. That Jesus sits in throne as the high priest, offering not only himself as the sacrifice, not only ruling over us, but he's interceding for us as well. And we know that we will persevere to the end. I think sometimes when we say that Jesus is able to keep us to the very end, to heaven, we think, oh, that's a good possibility. It's more than a possibility. It's a reality. And He will make that happen. Christ's intercession for His people means that He will deliver us from temptations and He will lead us homeward. And we can look to Him and we can trust in Him that Christ's intercession as our high priest enables us to grow in His grace every day. And I just say that to say as we, as, as we go through this life, and whether we are struggling with anger or fear or apathy or whatever it is in the circumstances, as we're struggling with our sins, as we're struggling to grow in grace, you know, sometimes we can, as Christians, just think, okay, I just need to try a little bit harder. I just need to do another Bible study. I just need to read my Bible a little bit more. I just need to do these things. I want to encourage you, turn to Jesus. Turn to Jesus, who is your high priest. He intercedes for you um, to the Father. And I want us to see the, the, the last thing is that He is not only greater uh, in His work and, and in His position, but also in His location as well. In, in chapter 8, verse 2, He said that He's a minister in the holy place, in the true tent that the Lord set up, not man. Uh, this idea is really picked up in verses 4 and 5. He says, now if He were on earth, He would not be a priest at all, since there are priests who offer gifts according to the law. They serve a copy and a shadow of heavenly things. For when Moses was about to erect the tent, he was instructed by God saying, See that you make everything according to the pattern that was shown you on the mountain. To say that Jesus serves in the true tent is not to say that the Israelite worship or the sacrifices that went on in, on earth were false. It's not a contrast between true and false. It's really a contrast between a copy and a shadow and, and a true reality of fellowship with God. In other words, the, the temple worship, the, the tabernacle worship, did not bring people in relationship with God. It is only through the true sacrifice, and that is Jesus Christ, that we can have a relationship with God. As a matter of fact, uh, that was so much so the case that when God gave Moses the pattern for the tabernacle, he told him to be careful to make everything just as he laid out because it was a picture of the heavenly temple where Christ ministers now. And so Christ is greater in his ministry, superior in his ministry as he ministers for his people. And the writer wanted these Hebrew Christians to know that though they have been cast out of the temple service and the religious life of their, their native culture, that in Christ they have true fellowship with God. Even though they can't see Christ, 
and what he's doing, it is real. He wanted them to understand that what was going on in the temple every Lord's Day was not the real thing. That was just a copy. That was just a shadow. But what Jesus does is, is superior. And then um, there's one other thing, but we won't look at it until next week, and that's in verse 6, where it says, Jesus' ministry is greater or superior because His covenant is superior, having better promises. And we want to I just want to spend more time with that next week, so we'll cover that then. But as I close today, I just want you to think about Christ as your high priest. And, and as you uh, live your life, as you're, you're walking in your faith, to understand who Christ is. And David McWilliams was uh, sort of uh, laying out of what Christ looked like. I think he got it from a book called The Atonement and Intercession of Jesus Christ by William Symington. But he points out that Christ in his intercession is skillful. That when Christ is, is um, pleading for us as his people to the Father, that he is skillful in the way that he does that. Your needs and your sins and your infirmities are better known to Jesus Christ than to you. We think we know what we want. We think we know what we need. But He knows exactly what we need. We're oftentimes ignorant to the things that, that truly are stuff that we must go through. We want things like comfort and uh, to get things done on our schedules and for our kids to grow up and to be perfect and all those things. But God realizes that sometimes we need to walk through the, the valleys and the and, and the difficult times to strengthen us in our faith. But Christ's intercession is also morally pure. We in our ourselves and in our purity, like I said, pray for desires that may be even sinful. But Christ is morally pure, and so everything that He prays for is right for us. But He's also a compassionate intercessor. He, um, he has not changed. He's still fully God and fully man. I like how one person said, they said, the dust of earth sits upon the throne on high. The dust of earth sits upon the throne of high. In other words, Jesus Christ is still a holy man. He understands our struggles. He is compassionate to us. But He is also authoritative. Just think about this. Jesus is both the high priest that intercedes between you and the Father, but He also is the King who reigns. And He can bring about those things in which He prays for for us. As one person said, they said, Christ asked for nothing for which He has not paid the full price by His precious blood. And so as we come this morning, we should come to Christ boldly to pray to Him, knowing that He is constantly there to intercede for us. I can remember when our kids were little, my wife would be in the other room trying to do something, and they would be like putting their fingers under the door, trying to get her attention so that they could uh, say, Mom, Mom, I need this, I need that. And we used to joke and say, you know, we need to get one of those numbering systems outside the door so the kids can just take a number. But you know with Jesus, you never take a number. With Jesus, you never take a number. You come to Him, you pray to Him, He hears our prayers, and He intercedes on our behalf because we have a Savior we have a high priest, a king high priest, whose ministry is greater. Please bow your heads with me. Today.
Lord Jesus, as we, as we close this service today, we thank you for the reminder that you are a great high priest. And Lord, no matter what it is that, that we encounter, whether it be struggle with sin, Lord, whether it may be um, one of the kids that is struggling to love their brother and sister, and they just think, I, I just can't love that person. Lord, I pray that, that they would know that they have one that they can come to. One who has paid the price for them. One who is mighty and powerful, not only to save, but to sanctify. And to one day glorify as well. We know, Lord, that you are interceding even on behalf of those who are yet to come to faith in you. Knowing that uh, you will bring all your sheep into your fold. And Lord, I just pray that, that you would help us to see our weakness more and more. That we might rely upon you more fully. Uh, we just thank you, Lord Jesus, and pray all these things in your name. Amen.